1: You have indeed found No Persinium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. This week on the show, XR artist and immersive media director Brenda Chen is on hand to talk about her work bringing virtual concerts to life. Jenny Coons and Sam Pinkleton, co-directors and choreographers of the production of Head Over Heels, currently playing at the Pasadena Playhouse, join us to talk about their all-new experientially staged vision of the Go-Go's jukebox musical, and Ian Hamilton of Upload VR drops in and we get philosophical about what all this buzz about the metaverse means for shaping how we see the world. Plus, the return of the pick of the week and headlines. But first, updates from the next stage. We are beyond excited to announce that Johnny Grant, co-founder and chief creative officer for London's department studios, producers of the Arkham Asylum immersive experience coming to London next fall, will be joining us live in Pasadena at that aforementioned Pasadena Playhouse this January 7th through 9th. Johnny has been working in the Immersive Realm forever. And with Arkham Asylum bringing Batman to the Immersive Realm, it is one of the two highest profile projects in all of Immersivedom. Right up there with a certain Star Cruiser that a few people we know are working on. Johnny joins his partner in the department, Hamish Jenkinson, creative technologist from Walt Disney Imagineering, artist Arisa Puno, Sarah Ellis of the Royal Shakespeare Company, the authors of the Immersive Industry Report, the team at Room Escape Artist, and so many more in a lineup that's still expanding. Oh, no, we're not done yet. I got a couple for you next week uh, that are just gonna, just gonna, you're gonna be so tickled. Uh, The only way to get to experience the full thing. The full experience is to be here live with us this January in Pasadena. That's also how you'll be able to participate in our mini festival. And we've just added the amazing Ministry of Peculiarities to the lineup. This is an innovative immersive game that blends immersive performance and escape game sleuthing in ways that have surprised and delighted our curators. With a 90 minute run of show, veteran actors from LA's immersive theater scene and the ability to accommodate up to 12 guests at a time, the Ministry of Peculiarities is sure to be one of the most talked about selections in the Next Stages mini-fest. Get all the details at experiencethenextstage.com. Click on Updates to read more. Uh, Three-day badges are on sale now. Click on Badges. Uh, And we're only putting 200 general admission badges up. So 200 general admissions plus the 100 folks who are coming in on scholarship. That's it. Once they're gone, they're gone. Rarer than any NFT. And now, here's Catherine with the headlines.
2: Hello, this is Catherine Yu, executive editor of No Prisenium, and here's what's in the immersive headlines for November 12th. Metaverse, 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 we've got even more developments in the area as companies rush to claim territory in the yet-to-be-defined, discovered, developed space. This time around, Niantic has officially launched its Lightship Augmented Reality Platform. The goal is to literally map the entire physical world to better integrate it with digital technologies which can then be used for all sorts of purposes, including non-gaming ones. As Niantic CEO John Hanke told Wired, They believe that augmented reality is, quote, where the real metaverse is going to happen, end quote. And to back all this up, Niantic have also announced a $20 million creators fund to back promising uses of their Lightship platform. Developers already on the platform include Coachella, the PGA of America, the artist JR and Superblue, the XR Wellness Company Trip, Universal Pictures, and Warner Music Group. Disney has also planted a flag in the metaverse, kind of... On an earnings call, Disney CEO Bob Chapek said, Our efforts to date are merely a prologue to a time when we'll be able to connect the physical and digital worlds even more closely, allowing for storytelling without boundaries in our own Disney metaverse. End quote. Chapek offered no additional details on Disney's plans. The New York Times turned to an 8-year-old player of Roblox to talk about the metaverse. Writer Alex Williams' son Anton is one of the 43 million daily active users. So what exactly is there to do in Roblox? Well, says Anton, you can make your own rules. You can ride motorcycles, own a house, throw a party. You can even get a job. As an eight-year-old. Do note that the last part of Anton's statement is referring to Roblox's own virtual economy fueled by its currency called Robux. And not to be outdone, the account at Iceland on Twitter put up a parody video about the metaverse. Sporting a Mark Zuckerberg-like narrator, the video walks viewers through the idea of the quote-unquote Icelandverse, a revolutionary way to connect the world without being super weird. Real water and real humans? Imagine that. This week, Unity also announced that it has acquired Weta Digital, the award-winning digital effects group whose work is featured heavily in movies like The Lord of the Rings and Avatar. Unity's acquisition includes Weta's artist tools, pipeline, intellectual property, and engineering talent. According to the announcement, Weta Digital will continue as a standalone entity known as FX and will become Unity's largest customer in the media and entertainment space. And a hearty congratulations goes out to the winners of this year's Augie Awards, which were announced at the AWE USA 2021 event in Santa Clara, California this past week. Winners included the teams behind Brianna's Garden, the Edge VR Matterhorn Experience, and Snap's Spectacles. And these have been your Immersive Headlines.
1: joining us now is brenda chen an immersive media director and xr artist you can often find brenda's work at the wave in fact there's a concert coming up that uh she's directed involving like an artist whose name you might recognize we'll get into that a little bit later brenda thank you so much for joining us on the show this week
3: thanks so much for having me
1: yeah sutu uh reached out about you and uh we we love sutu so we knew that uh if he said like you gotta talk to brenda like (laughs) we had to and and you've and you've worked on some projects with him so yeah i love sutu Sutu's the best yeah he's he's really great um what that sounded like maybe like yeah he's really no sutu is really great i just no uh, yeah sutu is
3: the best like he is the best
1: no, really, really, really good. But I'm I, I get to finally meet him in the flesh uh, this January. So but that's that's a whole oh, other nice. Thing. Yeah.
3: yeah, he's great.
1: Yeah. One of the things you make is mm-hmm. these XR based concerts. And I'm wondering, and, and you know, this is the kind of work you've been doing over at The Wave, what do those entail that like a traditional concert doesn't? Like how how do yeah. you think how should we think about these things as opposed to say a live show?
3: Yeah, gotcha. Um, I think virtual concerts are like way different than actual live shows, even though they are both concerts. I kind of like to consider them as their own genre or entity. Um, it almost feels like I would say like a, if a video game and a concert had a baby.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> well, sometimes he's happening game engines, So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's true.
3: Yeah, we do build them in game engines. But um, I guess, yeah, I'm used to calling them virtual concerts, not XR concerts, but they're kind of the same thing. But the way they kind of differ from real concerts is that you're not really bound by the rules of reality, right? Like you, since it is created in a game engine, you can do whatever you want. So for example, like whatever artist, musician decides to come in and do a concert, like they don't have to be themselves. Like Beyonce doesn't have to be Beyonce. Beyonce could be like a giant flaming tiger. um, I thought Beyonce was a
1: giant flaming tiger.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe she is. I don't know. I've never met Beyonce. um, There's a part
1: of me that's like, oh, why would Beyonce want to be anything but Beyonce? And then I'm thinking like, (laughs) what would Beyonce want to be if not Beyonce? That's kind of fast. Anyway, sorry. I'm thinking too much about Beyonce. Yeah. That's
3: like the real questions of life. What would Beyonce rather be? be?
1: Yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna, it's a Zen cone. Like, uh, if Beyonce does not want to be Beyonce, who and what does Beyonce want to be? Anyway. Uh, she wants
3: to be a flaming tiger.
1: Now I'm just going to rewatch Lemonade. All right. Where were we? Yes. So she oh, could be yeah. a flaming tiger, right? They, they could, yeah. like, the, the, the imagination is limitless.
3: Yeah. She could be a flaming tiger at the bottom of the ocean. Like, yeah. Like, we don't have to conform to those rules. And so it can be as magical as you want. Um, But I think the thing that like really differentiates a virtual concert from like a live concert that makes it extra special is kind of like the added interaction between fans and audience members. So like if you go to a normal concert, unless you're super rich or super lucky, you're probably in the back, right? Like you're never going to be able to interact with your favorite artist, but in a virtual concert, like everybody's equal. You're seeing the same thing that everyone else is seeing on their screen and at least at WAVE for our WAVE concerts, we have a lot of built-in interactions that kind of make it your concert experience extra special. So we have a thing called WaverCam that lets fans kind of pipe in like their image into the show via Zoom in a lot of our concerts, especially like the Alice in Wonderland one like her diehard fan showed up in the middle of the concert and she was able to see their face while she was performing. And she like gave them like live shout outs. And like, that was really special. Like this one lady was like pregnant and she was like on the screen, like holding her unborn baby and kind of like dancing. And that was like a really magical moment that you can have in a virtual show that won't happen, you know, like in a live show. Um, We've also done like live Q and A's where fans, you know, can type in the chat the questions for the artist and then they'll have their chat kind of pop up in the world. Like in the Lindsay Sterling show, it popped up as, you know, a little moth and then Lindsay was able to respond to their question in real time. And so you kind of get that back and forth, like dialogue between like fan and audience or fan and artist. That's really special. That won't actually happen at a live show. And since these shows kind of happen in real time through a game engine, with all these like interactions happening, we're able to have the artist and fans work together to kind of craft the show in real time.
4: Mm.
3: Um, And so for example, like fan, like we have these built-in like games almost where, you know, fans can like work together um, like on different teams. Like for example, in our um, Pentakill show, they are able to like be on different teams and kind of compete to like affect the show in a certain way we've had like fans like vote for like which environment we travel to or like what song the artist should play next and like what should the artist be wearing and so it's more of a collaborative concert experience where like every single time we like rebroadcast it it's it's different um, because it really depends on like how the attendees are feeling and like how the artist is feeling um, and I think that makes it really cool
1: that's interesting yeah. it's like there's there's a dimension here on the interactivity side of Mm -hmm. moving into kind of a realm of co-creation, right? Which is sort of one of the Mm -hmm. pillars of immersive techniques. And then there's also, when you were talking about say like, you know, like the fan who was pregnant and like who the artist could see in real time, like, there's a way in which there's uh, an intimacy that can be kind of fostered. Yeah, for sure. E- so even though it's still this mass broadcast platform, there is this kind of paradox of like the intimacy and, and, and a big thing. I think a big thing when it comes to like immersive, like, the fan impulse mm-hmm. that leads people down into immersive is often a matter of, you know, the very human thing about wanting to be seen. Like yes, you know, exactly, and, and not necessarily in a shown-off way, but in a in a. But I because I think people often also worry about that too. Like you talked about, say, immersive theater folks, and like, oh, am I going to get dragged on stage? Like, is that what's going to happen? <laughs> and that's people are terrified of that. But the yeah. but it's such a different thing where you know no, but we see you, we see who you are, and you can just be you and you can be yourself authentically and affirming yeah, sure. that. And, and and that's interesting that the platform has these affordances in it.
3: Yeah, isn't it kind of wild, right? Like you would think if a concert becomes like digital you almost feel like the screen would be separating you from the experience and that it would be less intimate but actually it's the complete opposite it's more intimate because like this technology rather than being you know kind of like a wall separating you from the artist is actually allowing you to connect with the artist
1: yeah speaking the artists um Uh the concert that's coming up you've got uh one with Justin Bieber coming up later this month uh, and you've worked on other projects, including with folks like the Weeknd, So some pretty, pretty big names. You've also worked on Brianna's garden, which you worked mm-hmm. on the Sutu. to uh, which for those who didn't catch that episode, that's uh, the AR tribute to Brianna Taylor. What's th- what's of the duty of care as an XR artist, as a director of this stuff, Mm-hmm. What's the duty of care when bringing these so very public figures into this format,
3: yeah, we have to be really careful because we are working with like real human beings, um and not just like some cartoon character, right? that doesn't have feeling. So if we represent someone badly, there are like real world implications. Um, and so anytime you know we we do a concert or like you know, work on a project like Brianna's garden we make sure to like work with the the person that we are representing themselves or at least like people who are really close to them to make sure that we represent them in a good light. So for Brianna's garden, um, Lady Phoenix and Sutu were the people that directed that project. And they worked really closely with Brianna's family just to make sure like however they represent her um, is in, you know, like a positive light. And they kind of made that project as a way to like honor her life but also as you know a project where the community can kind of come together and heal collectively and so in in that case like it is extra extra important that they represent her correctly and yeah that's just a matter of just like you know making the avatar and then just going back and forth and like going back to her family and being like hey like are you cool with this and then just really valuing and respecting their input and I think that's like what you really have to do when you're working with anyone's likeness. And at wave, we, we do the same thing. Like anytime we create an avatar, um, we go through that same process. So we have like a really amazing sculptor, shout out candy, candy clutch who like sculpts all the, the likenesses and she'll like go online, find like the most recent images of them where like the person looks the best and like does like a sculpt of them. Like usually me or like an other artist will kind of just like go online try to see like what that person likes to wear and kind of come up with like a mood board. And then we'll like show the artist um, kind of like what we came up with and was like, Hey, like, what do you think? And then it'll just be like a back and forth dialogue of them being like, we don't like this. Or like, I want this. And then it's just back and forth and tweaking it until they are happy. Because I mean like for wave shows, at least like they're all live. Like the artist will come into our, our office and like put on a mocap suit and, you know, if they see their avatar and they don't like it, they're not going to actually, like, perform, right? So it's kind of in everybody's best interest that we, like, represent them uh, to the best of our b- abilities.
1: Do do they tend to – do some people come with, like, a lot of ideas about exactly how they want to be, like, like, at the beginning of the process? Or is it off – do you often find – because these folks are often, like, incredibly busy. Like, I can't even imagine mm-hmm. – how busy like uh, a superstar is <laughs> like yeah. compared to like you know normal normal human workflows. Um just the sheer number of meetings, like a life as meetings with occasional performances. Like I I I think once upon a time I, I dreamt of that would be cool. And the older I get, the more I'm like, just sounds like a lot of meetings. Yeah. Um, uh, but but did do they come like charged and like all oh, like I wanna be this, like like this is how I want to be? Or it, it, is it so new still that folks are mm-hmm. like waiting to just get pitched and see what you guys come up with or is it a little both
3: um it's a little of both i would say though like surprisingly most artists have just wanted to be themselves in the virtual space like no one has ever come up to us and been like hey i want to be a flaming tiger you know
1: <laughs> i got this feeling you really want someone to be a flaming tiger shit so, I- <laughs> uh- <laughs>
3: No, I don't know why I came up with that. It just just like kind of, I I, I don't know. My mind is weird. Like it just weird things pop up. But (laughs) you're
1: you're in a safe space for weirdos. So, Uh. but
3: yeah, no, they, they normally, um, I would say most of our concerts, usually we kind of like pitch an idea to an artist and then, they kind of give us our feedback, or um, and then it kind of just evolves over time. Um, it, it's kind of it, it depends on like the artist, yeah. Some artists do come and they're like, Okay, like I want to do something like this, um, but just yeah, everybody's different.
1: We're suddenly again in this massive hype cycle about XR, metaverse is on everyone's lips. Are you seeing this translate? in this moment directly into opportunities for xr artists or is is all of this kind of hype bubble at the moment something that's really happening more on the business side of things because we're always so interested in how this stuff affects mm-hmm. working artists like that's that's the that's our core obsession so i'm i'm yeah mm-hmm. what's what's your perspective on it?
3: Wait, do you mean like new jobs being created for like, what do you mean by? Yeah,
1: I do. I do. Yeah. Like, are you, are you seeing that happening right now? Or is it, or is that still something that's like the next wave of the cycle? No pun intended. Um,
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it definitely is benefiting XR artists, right? Because like in order for an XR business to flourish, you kind of need someone to make the product, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just
1: And they'll try an idea. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, So I think there definitely are like lots of opportunities since, you know, there's so much hype. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's like a lot of like investor monies. There's a ton of like companies hiring. So if you're somebody that's like interested in, in making, you know, XR experiences for a living and you have a cool idea, like I'm sure like right now is the perfect time to like go out and try to find those investors to get your project funded, um, and yeah, I mean, just everybody's like hiring for XR now.
1: Before I let you go, is there like a dream project in this space that that, other than getting someone to be a flaming tiger, uh, that you that you uh, you that you've got kind of floating around? A dream in your project. Head? Yeah, I don't usually ask questions like this, but I'm but I'm I'm curious. I'm curious
3: curious what do you think my dream project is oh i don't
1: know that's uh, true how, yeah we just how, <laughs> we just met how would i know i don't know maybe you're a
3: psychic or something It is la
1: <laughs> uh, if i was psychic, i would have done everything i could have to like get people's <laughs> like atm codes or something like that or like crypto wallet codes <laughs> that's what i would do <laughs>
3: my crypto wallet code no i'm just kidding yeah no. um <laughs> yeah I do have a dream project. Um, I guess ever since I was like young, like I just love Lady Gaga. I think she's like the coolest father artist son ever. house
1: of Gucci, yes.
3: Oh my God, I'm so hyped for that movie.
1: But it's really bad. Is it really? That only makes me want to see it more. Wait. I hear, I hear, hear, I've seen, I've heard so many like- It's
3: not out yet.
1: No, but like all the press screenings have been the past two weeks. So like they're doing all the premieres, but I, but I, but I hear it's bad in a way that's, that's like- like can't That's turn good. away, yeah. So bad, it's good that like she that she's having so much. Fun. I've seen people say like, oh, if you think she's doing a bad job in this, like you you have no sense of fun because like, she's clearly having so much fun. Yeah. I've, I I saw I saw one thing say like, all oh, somehow Jared Leto is playing both Wa- uh, Wario and Waluigi <laughs> right, at the same That's time, hilarious. and just like yeah, yeah, it feels yeah yeah. It really it What was another one? It was like you know like a like a vampire princess uh, like. Oh, like, like Elvira, Ovira mistress of the dark, like, uh, marries into the mushroom <laughs> kingdom family. Like yeah. I've seen some savage things. It only gets me more hyped. So, that is so
3: funny. Yeah.
1: Okay, I don't so know. Gaga. I love her. She's just, amazing.
3: Yeah. She's amazing. Like she could deliver shit on a plate and I'd be like, this is great.
1: <laughs> Didn't she do that in a video? Once? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I
3: mean, probably no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it would be so cool to like direct anything for her just because I love her aesthetic. She's just so interesting. And I feel like she pushes a lot of boundaries. So like a virtual concert for her could be really cool. A live tour, like literally whatever Lady Gaga wants me to do, like just call me. I
1: I, I wish I had superpowers so I could just be like, oh, well, surprise. Cause, it, Cause that would, that would make this good. But unfortunately I I don't have that ability.
3: to would be like, like Brenda, you want to clean my house? I'd be like, sure. <laughs> I'm just
1: kidding (laughs) be careful with that one be careful what you wish for I gotta take it back so all right take it back no no house cleaning no house cleaning
3: (laughs) oh I forgot to say something about um, virtual concerts earlier yeah go for it cut that in or like no
1: we'll handle it one way or another what, what okay, it, what, cool. what's, what's the, what's the bit? It'd actually probably be a good place for us to end on something like cogent about virtual concerts. So oh, what's, okay. what's the thing you want to add about virtual concerts?
3: Another thing I think that makes virtual concerts so cool is that, you know, I actually have a lot of friends who have kind of like anxiety around crowds. And so they don't actually like going to live shows because they get shoved around and like,
4: mm, I'm yeah. super
3: short. So like, I can't even see sometimes when I go to concerts and then, like the whole thing that happened with like Travis Scott's concert is so like tragic, you know. Yeah. Um and so virtual concerts kind of let you enjoy like a show from the comfort of your own home and like I totally get it, like I will not lie. Nothing beats the feeling of like, you know, dancing under strobe lights at a physical concert, but like we can't deny that like virtual concerts are also Super fun, and that's why I kind of consider them their own genre, but for people you know who don't enjoy being in crowds, like I think it is a way for them to kind of like join in on the fun and get to see their their favorite artists live
1: and particularly in this day and age uh, there's there's all kinds of reasons for people wanting yeah. to find an alternative
3: and it's just it just it's so accessible to everybody like anybody can be a part of it like if you live in like the middle of nowhere it's ca- it's hard to go to a physical concert right. Like Lady Gaga is not going to go to, I don't know. I was going to name a random small town, but I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> but
1: and who knows, insert maybe small she, town here, you know. She, she might go there. So like just, just to spite you because you wouldn't be in house. Victorville, California. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, now we're going to get <laughs> emails from Victorville. Uh, <laughs> God, I'm going to, no, I won't get in trouble for that one. So uh, Victorville is entirely nice.
3: Oh uh, yeah.
1: Brenda Chen, this has been a delight.
3: Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Uh, If
1: folks want to check out your work, both what you do at The Wave and your other work, uh, where can they go?
3: If you want to see The Wave, we actually have a concert coming up with Justin Bieber on November 18, and you can tune in um, to watch it on wave.watch. And if you want to check out old shows, there's some on our YouTube channel, which is The Wave XR. Um, if you want to check out more of my work, I have a website. It is com. but also I'm pretty active on Twitter at Elevated Trash. Uh, if you want to follow me and check stuff out, um, I, I post a lot there.
1: Now, is that is that all one word, Elevated Trash? Or is yeah, there like a hybrid? All one word, elevated,
3: elevated Trash, trash all undercase. <laughs> yeah, it's,
1: it's, 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 there, it's it, trashy. <laughs> there's, no, but there's, there's only so many good uh, Twitter handles left, and that's definitely one of them. So, <laughs> Thanks. Brenda, this has been great. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, thank you so much.
1: Before we get into our next interview, just want to give a quick shout out to our latest backer, Cherry Mama. Thank you, Cherry Mama, for joining us at patreon.com slash no proscenium. Also want to thanks give thanks to Rachel Zilberg and Tim Beadle for upping their pledges. You're going to make me cry, y'all. Uh It is no joke when I say that patreon.com slash no persinium is how I pay my rent. uh, Despite what you might think, I am not an eccentric millionaire. Uh, I did not win the lotto last month. I really wish I did. I could have gotten Star Cruiser tickets. Uh, Yeah, no, I got to buy them just like a normal person. Uh, Anyway, patreon.com slash no persinium is how we keep all this running the newsletters the podcast my car everything that way and if you go and look uh we just get about two thousand dollars a month and uh i live in los angeles so uh do the math uh could use some help here two dollars or five dollars a month is all we ask uh and it goes really really far with us so uh thank you everyone who already gives i know a lot of you do uh spread the word and uh if you're already giving just tell people about the show tell people about everythingimmersive.com and new uh it goes a long way drop us a review uh, on the itunes uh share the content all right that's all of that part coming up next we have our interview with jenny coons and sam pinkleton Uh, A quick note on the technical side of these rascally machines picked the wrong microphone again. So I was hearing myself come through the Yeti, but the actual microphone picking up with either either the webcam microphone or the laptop microphone. So I'm really off mic. They were on a laptop mic too, so we kind of all sound even. Uh, I could have just told you that I did it out of solidarity, but I don't like to lie to you. All right, catch you in a second. Joining us now on the show is Jenny Coons and Sam Pinkleton, the co-directors and choreographers of Head Over Heels, which is at the Pasadena Playhouse right now in an all-new form. This is the Go-Go's Fueled Jukebox musical. Uh, Jenny and Sam, thank you for joining me on the show.
5: Thanks for having us. We're glad
0: to be here.
1: So uh, what's it feel like to get back into the swing of things and uh, take over the Pasadena Playhouse and completely uh, reorganize how it does business? Because I know this is a big, big, big swing.
0: It feels completely bananas. And (laughs) also completely bananas is I think the only way we both would want it right now. Um, It has felt like such a joy and such an inevitable uh, raucous Beast of an undertaking to to um, not just come back to the theater but come back to the theater with a full remix of both the show and a building. Um, it has uh, definitely felt in keeping with the roller coaster of simply being alive right now and we're having a blast.
1: So starting with the basics. What What is Head Over Heels? What's the story on this show? What's different about this production you're doing from the Broadway production that ran in 2018 and 19? From what I can tell, it's, it's fairly different.
5: Yeah, the story of Head Over Heels is um, about a family that goes on a journey and in the end finds out everything that they needed was inside of themselves in like a very classic Wizard of Oz format. And the, I guess provocation for this production was around the space and what it would mean to turn the Pasadena Playhouse kind of upside down and put a dance floor over the orchestra and create an invitation for people to return back to the theater after we've all been separated for a really long time. And so the adaptation is really rooted in how to best serve the space People can't stand for an enormous amount of time. And we got excited about really reimagining the story for this particular dance floor and what that would mean and how we invite people in.
1: It's really exciting. I know that space fairly well because we're holding an event there in January. And and I saw the layout, I'm like, oh, I wonder if they can just let us keep the
5: (laughs) format. That's right. We keep saying that. We're like, don't you want to keep this? This this dance floor layout just feels so so unique. And it's also keeping the soul of the playhouse alive. You're very consciously in the theater still, even while it's been transformed. And that feels really exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where on the immersive spectrum uh, does this production fall? Because we have folks who love all kinds of immersive stuff. And I'm wondering what, uh, just how the audience sort of uh, set their expectations
0: here, I guess. I have an answer that you're probably not gonna like, but it's completely honest, uh, which is I think we've both made a lot of work in our lives that has been called immersive by others. Um, I don't know what that word means. Uh, I never have, I I can't use it in a sentence. Um, There are things that I've experienced that were called immersive that have made me go like, immersive how? And there's things that I felt really immersed in. So I think to us, um, every project is just a question of like time and place and like, where is it and who's it for and how do we want them to feel? And so for this, it's in this kind of totally rethought Pasadena playhouse. And some of our audiences is, is standing. There's a dance floor. The show is staged in and among the crowd um, because that's what the space is giving us. And we want it to feel like a party. Um, but I think sometimes the word immersive comes with certain trappings of like, I'm gonna get pulled into something. And like, that isn't really what we're thinking about. Um, A word that we sometimes throw around is like environmental. Um, I think on any show, the job is to place um, an audience in a world that they wouldn't have access to at home or on Netflix. Um, And so that's what we're trying to do here with this uh, big, colorful head over heels. Jenny, anything to add on that one? Just that
5: as you saw, Noah, in the layout of the theater, there are different ways that the audience can be invited into this. And that feels really important to us, that it's not holding one group of audience members over another. It's been really amazing to tech in that way with all of us and the designers moving throughout the space pretty constantly during the tech sessions to make sure that everyone's not only getting an equal invitation, but also finding those secret moments where like actually only those five people in the bleachers will see that. And even at the invited dress this weekend, there were things that happened that, you know, 10 people at that corner of the dance floor laughed about and And in the room, you have this sense that there are multiple things happening even while we're all experiencing one thing. And so that, I guess, to me feels quote unquote immersive that there's not just like one shared point of view and one shared frame that we're looking at. Um, And it should be as much for the 17-year-old from East LA as it is for the lifetime subscriber of the Pasadena Playhouse. And that's on us to create an experience that actually authentically welcomes both in.
1: This, this idea of creating work that invites multiple perspectives in provides something more than just, you know, the a simple proscenium or a, a screen can. I mean, that's, that's the heart of you know, what we're obsessed with. And I know both of you have worked in these forms, whatever label we put on it. Um, you know, Jenny, you've done a, a number of site-specific and responsive pieces of the year, Sandy choreographed Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. There seems to be this dialogue happening with this fourth wall annihilating work and the institutions of American theater, of Broadway, major regional theaters like the Pasadena Playhouse, how how is this dialogue going um (laughs) what, what 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 why is this dialogue happening in your eyes
0: uh I mean my answer for that uh is you know I really like movies and television and um I like them best when they're good at being movies and television and I like when theater can only be theater. When theater continuously reminds you that you're in a room together with other human beings and not human beings on a couch over there, but like the people next to you and around you. Um, the thing that excites me about theater is liveness, is communion. Um, and especially after the last two years, like I am only interested in, in making, (laughs) seeing, supporting work that at every moment is actively reminding you that you're in a room with other people and those people are alive. Um, And so that, I don't, I, I feel about fourth wall a little bit the way I feel about the word immersive. I just never feel qualified to define those terms. I think there's people who are a lot smarter than me that have better definitions for them. I don't know what that means. I just know for me, the stuff I'm excited about making is just, um, I hope really like continuously, uh, popping with, Oh, this could only be live. This could only happen now. This is going to be different tomorrow and it's going to be different the next night. And it's going to be informed by whoever came that night. It's going to be informed by, uh, like what kind of morning you had and what the weather's like. And that's a, a really exciting and necessary variable to me of making live performance. Um, and is ultimately more of a North Star than like breaking a fourth wall or trying to like, you know, dance in the aisles. And I would say, because you mentioned Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, that was very much the governing principle of that experience was less like, yeah, like break it down. And more like, how do we welcome a large group of people into this experience every night? How can this be an experience of hospitality? How can we say, hey, we're all in the room together. Actually, you're there and I'm here and we're better because of that and now we're going to do this thing. Um, and I don't think that that is specific to any show. Um, it's just, a for me, It's a it's a way that I like to think that live performance continues to be necessary.
5: And I guess the thing I would add to that, Noah, is just to shout out institutions like the Pasadena Playhouse because I think that your question is great and smart. And actually, as we all start to come back together, it's interesting to see what everyone is investing in and programming. And an institution like this to take a risk like this as the first show back, a big fucking party for Pasadena to say, welcome home, welcome back, and let's celebrate that in person, that's unique. I think that there's more interest in forms that are maybe what we would say non-traditional, but it's rarer than we think that institutions are actually putting money, development, space and time behind those ideas in the way that it might seem like everyone's doing this now, it's, it's pretty unique.
1: I got to agree with you there. Like, there may be a lot of work, but there isn't a lot of institutional support for it. And so uh, that shift is is a significant one and one that I'm constantly monitoring. Jenny and Sam, uh, Head Over Heels runs through when?
0: Currently, it runs through December 12th, I believe.
1: All right. Well, We are so glad you're here at the Southland with us, and I encourage everyone uh, within the sound of my voice who is near Pasadena to go check out the show. Thank you, Bob. Yay!
5: Thanks, Noah.
6: Hey, everyone. This is Kevin Gossett, the LA Reviews Editor for No Presidium. I'm here to introduce this week's pick of the week every week we meet in the discord for review crew to talk about what we've seen or experience recently and you can hear that in this podcast feed right before this one it's a partner to the review rundown on the site and it's where we select the pick of the week this week we have
1: noah nelson host of the show what
6: someone different um no what is your pick of the week
1: the pick of the week for this week is the meta movie Alien
6: Rescue. And um, what can you have a short description of it before we yeah, get into why? Yeah,
1: yeah, the description before the why. Uh, absolutely. This is like a live action role playing experience, but done in a metaversal setting, namely the Neos VR platform. Imagine, if you will, that someone has spun up a science fiction D&D setting and then built a custom video game level for you to act it out in and then um, got a bunch of actors to play all the parts other than that of the protagonist, which you are cast as. Um, That is what it is, and it's pretty spectacular.
6: And so, what what's so spectacular about it that makes it pick of the week?
1: So, I think I've with any of the XR performance stuff, like the live performance stuff, I've yet to really had a chance to be, you know, the hero character in any of this. But also, you know, I've always loved, aside from Star Wars, I've loved games like Mass Effect. You know, when I played Vader Immortal, I was often talking back to the characters. They couldn't hear me, but I sure was quipping back. And this is what the exact experience I've been hoping to have all along, which is, you know, I'm on some big science fiction rescue mission thing and I'm running with a crew and we're bantering. And we're hijinking while we're, you know, dealing with good versus evil and, you know, galactic overlords and, you know, extinct alien species. Um, it's like uh, it's like getting to play out a dream uh, that maybe you've daydreamed over and over and over again. It really kind of brings it all together in a way that is totally grokkable, you know. Um, this isn't necessarily high art, although it's got some, you know, themes worked into it, so it's not, you know, completely devoid of culturally nutritious content. Um, but it's um I, I kind of think it's it, it's an exemplar of the form and it's a great model for people to emulate um this kind of hybrid of a DD module, a video game. A live theatrical performance, but using these VR tools, we have the only kind of downside there is when it comes to this particular experience is that it is on a PC only platform. Uh, that platform is unlikely to get a headset, like standalone headset, anytime soon because it's a very small team that makes it. But um, if you are equipped with that and uh you want to you know chop it up with some actors while running through a game um this is the way to go
6: awesome thanks for for talking about that Noah. Um, if you want to learn any more about this you can listen to the latest review crew for a much more in-depth rundown of <laughs> the pick Tune in to the Discord next Wednesday for the next review crew where we'll be talking about shows that might be pick of the week. And then tune in to this podcast to find out what the pick is.
1: We've now reached that part of the show where we like to check in with our friends from around the Immersiverse. Joining us this week is Ian Hamilton, Managing Editor of Upload VR, who's going to talk to us about some of the XR shenanigans out in the world, and there sure are a lot of them. Hello, Ian. Hello, everyone. Is it just me, or is this like the busiest news cycle out of the XR world in years? It, It feels like 2012 all over again.
4: Yeah, so I remember I was at CES in January when I think the Rift, the Oculus Rift went on sale in 2016 and the site broke. Everyone crushed uh, the website when the end price was actually announced for the original Oculus Rift. And, you know, I think a, pe- a lot of people went out and got Rifts and they were used and loved and they're still being used and loved today. But we're at a different scale today i think I would call this the biggest the biggest cycle in in history for for v r
1: We were talking before we started recording, and as I always do with folks in this segment uh ask them sort of what's what's top of mind and for you, you said that's meta but but not quite necessarily in the way that maybe everyone when they hear that now is thinking so just, just riff, man.
4: Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get going here. So, uh, metaverse is the term that all the exe- the tech executives are using these days to describe this interconnected technology ecosystem that they'd all like to build and profit from. And I think it is a little bit distracting from the underlying enabling technology for some of the most advanced use cases. Hmm. And I, I think it's perfectly fair to call metadata this underlying uh, technology layer that is going to fundamentally make a, a metaverse function. And if, as long as we're talking about this vision that the tech executives want us to be thinking about, Maybe we're not actually thinking about how uh, fundamentally this stuff works uh, on an underlying layer. And I I think it's so, so significant. Uh, I'm going to credit where it is due. Uh, So significant that Facebook would take this step of deleting their facial recognition database, uh, their tagging feature. Yeah, Um, I didn't see
1: that coming. I I really was, I was honestly surprised that they went and did that. I mean, we got it. We have to trust (laughs) that they actually did it, but even taking that stance was, that was, I did not expect that at all.
4: So there's black mirror. I love that black mirror has done all of this before, right? So there's already references in black mirror and they're all dystopian and, you know, that's always going to be that criticism. And if you go back to, you know, every science fiction story that it has, has been popular and gone famous, it's almost universally uh, a dystopia. But there are uh, utopian fiction stories out there, and there's stories that guide us uh, and help us uh, be ready for what's to come. And I, I really do hate that science fiction is what's guiding us, but um, we need to talk, have really direct discussions about some of the, the underlying terminology here, like uh, there is a conversation between journalists and Facebook um, for the, you know, in advance of their rebranding announcement. And there's a difference between facial recognition and uh, I have to think of the other term. But uh, there's a difference between a pair of glasses or a computer system seeing a face and then uh, comparing that face against a database, uh, you know, going or, and, and using that face to identify it amongst uh, a billion other faces. And we have to have really frank discussions, uh, precise discussions about specifically what these technologies are doing. And I I recorded a podcast uh, right prior to Facebook announcing that they were shutting down the facial recognition system on its legacy system. And I, and I basically pointed out this exact opposition uh, situation where they had this database to bring to bear at any time they wanted you. You're walking around with sunglasses powered by Facebook technology today. There's people everywhere walking around with Ray-Bans with cameras on them. And those are recording videos and photos going to phones where they could be analyzed in the exact same way that Facebook analyzes every other image that goes into its system. And it would be really easy to uh, even find out strangers' faces Out on the street, uh, potentially, especially if there's geotagging involved. So I I brought this all up uh, maybe days before the announcement. And, uh, you know, Facebook dumping that entire uh, database is exactly the step they should have taken to make good on this larger promise and rebranding that... uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Andrew Bosworth uh, say that they're embarking upon. Um, so yeah, I again, credit where it's due. That's, that's the right step. I, the, yeah. the, the reason I brought up black mirror earlier is uh, I always wondered, did, you know, did someone make a copy of that database? Is there a way that like, you know, is there a record of the, the, the retention of that data and how it was accessed and is there at well, any you know, time, what's... can someone just go get it?
1: Yeah, or or you know, you know, people finding other ways to like get that data, right? I mean, like there's some there's some really great, um, oh god, the, the name of it slips my mind at the moment. There was a there was a good piece I think it was in either Sundance or South by this year that was just a little interactive that was all about you know the the giant photo database and uh, you know how it's how it how it's learned so much through tagging, right? So like I mean, this started off with Flickr. And uh, yeah, Flickr. Uh, but so long as I said that word, I was like, is that right? Um, <laughs> where, and, you know, that stuff's being bought by places like Palantir, you know, and these databases are being used to do, like, border control stuff in, you know, the, in Israel and Palestine, right? You know, there's, I was just reading, an article, uh, saw a headline, you shouldn't say reading an article if you didn't read the article, there's a headline today about, you know, there's a company that, you does know, uses facial recognition software to like compare someone coming through a border checkpoint and it just flashes like a red or a green to to tell them something like this it's like there's a, a flashing light comes on to tell the person to get uh to detain them and uh this is how this technology you know gets used i, I kind of feel like and to your point about having frank conversations about this stuff that like if there's one thing that uh that education system does not prepare us for it's to really understand the systems of the world and and how they're they're built and layered and integrated Mm -hmm. and it's it's darkly ironic because when you when you you look at the people who are getting inspired and going out and building stuff. The people who build this stuff are clearly are excited by the systems of the world. They're really fascinated about how um, technology shapes behavior, how supply chain shapes behavior, how you know math and academics and all of these things. You know they they may they may draw their names from Neil Stevenson Snow Crash, but you know, there's as much to the fact that he wrote a book called "The System of the World" that was just about, you know, like <laughs> it was about the algebra and 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 about uh, the calculus and about just literally the, the the way in which the the world's economy works and how these sort of things uh, flow with us forever, and that we've been living through this moment of reorganizing everything because of the internet, right? Um, Retagging the whole world, which is what the the metadata ultimately is. It's, It's how we tag a piece of information, how we sort it. And I see this, I see this reflection in literally in the way people behave, right? I see a lot of the emphasis in the last two generations on identity and how someone's identified and labeled. I see that as a reflection of this meta process. Our culture has been going through about figuring out how to teach the machines to see us.
4: Mm. Well, I, I talked about the idea of car. I feel like I'm right at the edge of like uh it's almost like we're at this we've crossed this threshold where almost like any absurd idea that science fiction has proposed uh is gonna be doable pretty soon um and that's you know that is Sadly not hyperspace I wish
1: I wish I wish we had hyperspace that would solve
4: our problems Just I mean when you got more. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, well, I mean, what happens when you've got perfect AR glasses that map the environment around you and they can, uh, you know, intelligently reskin the environment to look like Endor And, and to have speeder bikes going by? I mean, there's literally papers on the latest papers in computer vision as we speak, as we record this in time, are showing how in real time or near real time. Uh, you know they're moving towards this idea of identifying objects, removing them, replacing them with something else. This, this feature that we've seen in Photoshop uh, conferences where they, you know there's some engineer at, at Adobe who' spent mm-hmm. like six months of their time figuring out how to have a photo and you could make the photo wider horizontally, and it'll automatically content fill. Uh, it'll look at the left hand of the frame and fill in the gap for that frame. Well, that's that's one frame per however long that process takes. Now they're getting the computer systems to look at a moving camera and identify all the objects in it, remove them, replace them with sci-fi objects, and perhaps show you that uh, is, is the end game here. Um, so there's the game that we see with a system like pokemon go the ar on it on my phone today is the weakest part of the whole game but what happens when we have glasses that can really convince you that a pikachu is running out from a bush or running out from a tree uh and fighting a giant onyx uh out in the field behind your your house um one thing I want to respond to about your sort of reorganization of the world or the systems that kids, uh, learn. Um, I, I, again, credit where it's due a Magic Leap's conference a couple years ago, uh, where they had a de- developer conference before they ran out of money, um, and sort of redirected the company, lost a whole bunch of people. Um, they had this conference and they talked about layers being layered on top of the world. Uh, for different things and i just watched this neantic uh conference where they announced their ar development kit and there was a fairly large showing for this concept of uh, a flower being identified and being able to get information about that flower while you're looking at it and you know, when I'm looking at uh, Niantic, Niantic, I don't know how to pronounce it. When I'm looking at Pokemon Go Creators Company announcing, <laughs> um, uh, showing off that feature, I see a use case I legitimately would want day in and day out uh, to learn more about the world. Uh, yeah.
1: Turn What's by that turn means? directions.
4: For yeah. the first time I used Google's, AR turn step-by-step directions where when you hold the phone down and you're looking at it flat, you're seeing a 2d map of the environment and it's got a compass. So it turns with you as you turn your hand. And then uh, if you raise the phone vertically, it changes into AR mode and becomes your window screen into this world. And it shows you in your environment uh, where you need to be turning next. That's, that's another killer feature that I am so looking forward to with AR glasses. Um, and it's becoming easier like this, this season going back to sort of the, the, the start of this conversation, I'm, I'm wearing the Ray-Ban sunglasses, Wayfarer sunglasses that Facebook sent me and testing them out to understand really deeply how, uh, how it's going to change uh, things when those glasses let someone stand with me who isn't actually there. So there is, I've got you know plenty of people I can think of who can't physically make it to the dog park and watch dogs running around or my dogs running around. And if my glasses are scanning the environment around me, And I can share that with one or five people and they can uh, in real time kind of be represented as an avatar out on the field with my sunglasses. You know, I I had a conversation with someone out there with, you know, with the sunglasses out on the dog park explaining that like, yeah, that's exactly how this functions. And they, and they got it. Like that's a big difference from, 5 years ago when you had to like tell a person not to lean around in their cell phone VR headset because uh the head the, the VR headset doesn't recognize that movement
1: well even um, and like, and like of, yeah. a, you know there's there's a there's a layer of this where or, or or a future I mean it's it's one thing for oh now we've got the camera facing outward and we're having you know a FaceTime like conversation, but you know, you're, you're, you know, I'm seeing what you're seeing, right. You know, and, and that's coming into us in real time. And then there's another layer where it's all right, whoever's serving up this conversation, whatever platform we're using has enough information on that dog park that it can extrapolate based off the changes in order to create a, you know, if not perfectly photorealistic, then a pretty good facsimile of, that in a, in a VR space. So like I could be strapped into a quest. You could be out there with the Ray-Bans on, we could be having a conversation and I can see, you know, not just what you're seeing, but I can maybe see it from my point of view and in a world where the AR glasses can show like a holographic version of myself where I'm standing like four or five feet away um, and facing a slightly different direction. Um, we could share that space together because it's picking up enough, you know, information from all the other cameras that are there. Yeah. Well,
4: um, and reliving moments, just like the the dad in Minority Report who lost his uh, little boy. Uh, yeah. You know, just like that, you know, there's so many, yeah, we could point to all this sci-fi, but like that still doesn't describe how all the humans on the planet are going to respond when some people have cameras and enhanced hearing and other people do not.
1: Well that I mean some of that reminds me of conversations I remember in the 80s um particularly when people thought genetic engineering was going to be a lot more advanced. I remember these spreads in Time magazine when I was a kid talking about the Olympics in 2020 or uh and there was one that was showing like like normal sized people like like standing on platforms to deal with like oversized Olympians as if we were making like mini Titans to like compete in the games because that's how far things were, were, were pressing. And so th- there's still, there's still our wetware, you know, there's still, there's still what the human brain can kind of handle when it comes to processing all that information, right? Like there's, there's enhanced hearing so we can hear more, but, can our brains really manage all that? I feel like we already have tons of focus problems. uh, I'm not ready
4: to, I'm not ready to to, to conceptualize uh, direct neural input you know, with, with computers. Like I can't. Oh, I'm not even
1: talking, I'm not even talking about that. I'm just literally talking about, you know, just, just trying to track all of the things that we already do. Right. Well uh, so
4: that that was the other thing, yeah. So going back to kind of like well, all right, so there was a thing you mentioned earlier about the way kids understand the world and, and kind of like the appropriate age for some of these things I start to think about. Um so I moved recently to Arkansas and I've been exploring exploring the hiking trails here. And there's just miles and miles and miles of these hiking trails that are just absolutely gorgeous deer running through them creeks waterfalls and uh there's trails made for bicyclists and for hikers and for walkers for runners like it's every kind of way you would want to explore nature you you could but that's an it's such an a far removed different set of people or 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 different circumstances than um the at-home VR headset use case um, that 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 is kind of like making it so popular uh, right now. So the the company that Meta just bought, uh, Supernatural, making this fitness app, that's the getting your workout in home in the privacy of your home because going to the gym isn't working for you is an entirely different use case from getting out and seeing the world and the type of eyewear you, or, or even audio head, headset that would sort of enhance that overall experience. And I don't know whether the market is larger for the at home version of the glasses or the out and about enhancing your experience, walking around the world version of the glasses. It's just, uh, we're getting very close to certain use cases being fulfillable in a really satisfying way with, uh, you know, a a live world map that can be updated in a, in a, in a, in a timely manner, a real time is going to be hard, but in a timely manner is going to be doable short term and, uh, you know, one day we're going to have multiple, the reason I brought up all this, like hiking and outdoor and nature is like, if I'm a bicyclist looking at a given environment, there's a completely different layer of information I need about the world around me at that given moment. And it's a, it's a different layer of information than the person who's a pedestrian and walking around. And that's yet again, different from the person who's driving around. And you know, your options on what you want to do next and what you ca- what you might notice about the environment are different uh, in all those contexts. And I need different hardware and different software to help me in all of those situations. And g- going back to the beginning of this, like okay, Facebook and Epic and VR chat, can all agree that avatars need to be interoperable between these systems. I'm sure. I'm sure there, there's going to be some kind of like press release or agreement that they're all going to agree on some kind of avatar standard. But like, how do how do you ta- ask the permission of the people around you to share their uh, their their location, their appearance, all you know their their presence in public. What right do you have to record and identify those people for all time uh, to the fidelity uh, that you're going to be able to in the next five or ten years?
1: Big big questions that that we're going to all need to wrestle with. Ian Hamilton, managing editor of Upload VR. Thank you so much for cracking open some questions we all need to to mull over. <laughs> and uh and we'll uh we'll have you back on the show at some point and maybe uh okay. talk about this a little more. Get get some get some more of the, the journalism gang together and uh and have a go.
4: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let me go galaxy brain on on you all uh, and come read uploadvr.com and Uh, read about the latest games but uh, clearly we've got very long plans here uh, for how this stuff is going to change life and we'll be covering that too
1: we've now reached the end of the show and uh, yeah uh, kind of a fun mix this week. We got your XR, we got your live, we've got your philosophical coming in at a couple of different levels. So I'd like to give you a lot to think about. Um, just so you know, what's coming up, uh, for the rest of the year, uh, we do have another produce piece coming up. Uh, I've got the elements in it, uh, in the can. I'm really excited about doing that again. We've also got a, uh, holiday gift guide show. Coming. Uh, We're going to have our end of the year shows. So we're going to get the journalist roundtable together again. And we're definitely going to do the critics' picks. Uh, Are we going to do awards this year like we did last year? I haven't decided yet. Are we going to do fan voted awards if we do them? I also haven't decided yet. Uh, You know, we did that last year as a way of, you know, trying to like bolster everybody's spirits. Um, and it did great traffic for us. It also like kind of brought out the worst in people. (laughs) I'm always reluctant on this because like, there's such a double-edged sword, right? You know, on the one hand, it's like, oh, wow, attention. And people get to like, you know, put laurels on and like, oh, wee fun. Other hand, like everyone starts like competing. And, uh, so yeah, it's uh, under advisement. Let me tell you, running that whole operation, uh, you know, we, we might not do it until we we might not do the awards until like early next year after the summit. Uh, in fact, uh, maybe that's when you should expect them. If we're going to do them, uh, that also sort of changes the dates. Uh, so yeah, anyway, for those who might've been wondering who have a long memory, that's what's up with that. Uh, here I'm going to tease some stuff for the next stage. Um we are not done announcing like headliners yet. I know it feels kind of ridiculous. We're like, I don't want to say how many weeks out because it'll scare me, but we're less than two months out. We're still announcing headliners. We still have, we have less than the full 200 badges to sell, but we definitely still have a good number of badges left. Uh, If you're thinking about it, uh, you know, I'll just say, It's going to make my decision-making easier if more people lock their badges down. Uh, That lets me do things like commit to putting people up and flying people out. So just know that the longer you wait and hold out, the less of a budget I have to play with, the less of a budget I have to play with, the less good the experience is. It's pretty much just that way. Um, That also being said, if you're interested in sponsoring, Like if you've got that ability, we're definitely interested in talking to you. We've got some great conversations going on with some potential sponsors. uh, And so hopefully have like more to pack into the experience, but um, we could always use more. And there's room at the table. And yeah, uh, look, this is going to be an absolutely fantastic event. When it all boils down, when we add up everyone who's going to be in the room, there's going to be like less than 500 people on campus entirely. We're going to be running four tracks at once at certain times. There's other times we're just going to be running one track. We've got Disney Imagineering on board. We've got the Royal Shakespeare Company. We've got department studios with arkham asylum on board we've got redacted and we've got redacted and we've got redacted um i so want to tell you what's up i i i do delight in teasing you like this i need you to trust me i need you to pick up your badge Um, For those of you who are wondering how streaming is going to work, because uh, there's just the one day pass on sale right now, Uh, we're going to announce next week the rest of those details. I'll give you uh, a hint. The smartest thing you can do for yourself if you are uh, definitely not able to attend, right? Uh, Financially, all the reasons. Trust me, I do get it. Pick up the one-day streaming badge now. We're not going to put that many three days on sale. And those people who have one-days will have priority on access. The other thing is this. Streaming is not our big emphasis. So we're going to have uh, one stream coming out out of one room for the duration, and everything else will be VOD once it's ready to go. How that exact process is going to work is still being developed, but our resources in terms of staff time means that we have to stay focused on the live event. So yes, the streaming, for all intents and purposes, is an afterthought, and the pricing structure will be scaled appropriately. So uh if you are hoping for like a big if you're hoping even for something like you know on the level of like what we did with Spring Fling or the previous ones, it is not going to be that. Like as far as a hybrid goes, it's gonna be a passive online experience. Full stop. It will still bring you plenty of value if that's the only way you can interact. But if you want the full experience, if you want the full interaction, if you want the If you want access to the festival, right, you want to be there in person. We will be raising the price. Uh, It may raise next Friday. We may push that back if we have a big announcement. We want to give everyone as much information as they can. But we need to make sure that people grab those badges so we can pull this off. That's the deal. That's how it goes. We are bootstrapping as always, as we've always done. I will say, one more thing about sponsoring, we have a fiscal sponsor, Producer Hub, who are out of the tank in New York City, and that means that contributions to the Institute, which produces the show, and which will be uh, you know, the owner of NoPro, uh, as we set up our 501c3 here, uh, those are tax deductible. So if you're interested in giving to us that way, hit us up, let us know, reach out to us uh, you can reach out to me, Noah, at com. I will direct you to the proper place. All right. Those of you are still listening, thank you. Uh, let's do the credits. Uh, big thank you to our sustaining backers. They are Ari Hurstan, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Lonnie Hands-On, Paul Farnell, Mark Baltazar, Samuel Mistry, Sydney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Shavana Lachlan for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu is the executive editor of NoPro and does our headlines. And this podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, mixed, screwed up, rambled on by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.